Good morning, Cameron. This is um, Cameron and Brock, our two people, the podcast, where Cameron and Brock are two people. I'm trying a new thing where I do the housekeeping up front. Uh, it's great. I like it because it, it sets the expectations low where I just have to be a person, and it's pretty much the thing I'm best at. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of uh, establish up front that we have almost no real goal for this podcast, uh, but it, I also like it because it uh, – it gets in the way of any any possible like uh, chemistry that we could have up front. So we instead of like uh, some friendly banter to warm up, we just immediately start talking directly at the audience about what the podcast is about. I feel like that really it's it's nice and natural. Okay, so is that a fallback, or is this? We're going to get out ahead of oh. it so that we never run into a problem. Oh, I burned our fallback. It's gone. We don't have a. We don't. Our fallback now is just like flail around for another topic, uh, and make noises until I can think of one. Um, let's see. This is Cameron and Brock. See, I wrote down housekeeping. I said our names. I said our, our email is Cameron and Brock at gmail dot com. Um, uh, did you know that our the song that I use? Uh, I'm sure you do not recognize actually the song that I use for for said podcast. I wanted to ask you about that. Abigail and I were questioning. So it's a it's an old song from a band I went to college with, um, and I believe that it is like uh, off. Uh, it is it is off a blank CDR I once had that had the band name written on it. The band was Shapiro. Shapiro was the name of the band. Um, they did put out an album a lot later, but this particular song was off of a CDR that had the word Shapiro written on it in marker. Um, but I, I just thought it was fun to use something old that I didn't have to deal with rights for. But Shapiro, um, R.I.P. Shapiro. Fun Shapiro fact. Years after, um, after all of that, uh, oh, no, no, they were. I guess they were actively playing around two thousand and eight or nine. Uh, so you know, five years after I had gotten out of college, more or less. Um, I was watching an episode of, uh, or Shannon was watching an episode of, uh, I want to say Dawson's Creek, one of those era shows. Uh, a, oh yes, a, a of course. 90s WB show, and the the uh, interstitial music on in some scene of Dawson Creek came on, and it was a Shapiro song. Um, very confusing because m- certain members of Shapiro would have been not like nine when that episode came out. So I messaged my friend who would manage the band, and uh, it turns out the, what they do is they relicense music a lot of the time. The well, rights have expired for music on television shows, so when they put them back out for streaming, they will, instead of uh, relicensing Matchbox 20 or whatever, go out and get... That's real? Yeah. That's... I don't like that. I don't like knowing that. Oh. That means nothing is what it was what's happening uh yeah i i it, it's it's condensing okay history condenses that's all i've got for you it's it's the that one day someone will look at uh 198 you know they'll look at a nintendo cartridge and a nintendo switch cartridge and say these are video games and like the the uh inter, the like a uh, huge array of of uh changes that will have taken place are will be condensed down into a physical item. So one day they're going to say, Rob Thomas, ah, Freddie Mercury, ah, singers. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, they've already, I, to me, they've already done that with my music uh, from, from when I was younger, I feel like, or our music, or, you know, I don't know what your, uh, what your possessive uh, pronoun is for it, but like, um, the, uh, the rock and roll revival thing, they, the, the, uh, there's even a page for this on Wikipedia, I believe, or there was it at a time. I have, I brought back allergies from, from Virginia. Uh, they, uh, the, the, yeah, 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 and the white stripes and the, the strokes and the vines and the hives, all those bands are now part of a, a, what's recognized as like a, a, a unit of, movement or uh, music sorry a movement of music what what yeah and for me 
I didn't see those bands as being similar at all. Like some of them, right? The hives and the vines, I would literally get mixed up. But like the white stripes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs are not cut from the same cloth to me. But history ends up getting condensed. What is this movement? What what do they call it? Don't leave me hanging. Oh, come on. I have to go look it up. Um, oh, all right. Uh, I may look it up. I mean, I could maybe see the white stripes in like, the Black Keys or something? I think they're part of it, too. Of course, that isn't necessarily what we're talking about. A post-punk revival is what it was called. It's uh, developed in the late 90s and early 2000s. I think somebody's getting bored. The Strokes, the Libertines, I mean, clear- Interpol, the White Stripes, the Hives, and the Vines are the, the bands listed in the intro here. Are you okay? Obviously. Did I lose you? This oh, is. I lost you. Hold on. Oh, I'll hold. be right back. Okay. Boy, I shouldn't have opened Chrome in the middle of the podcast. That just ruined my sound quality. Chrome, close. Brock seems very upset by this. Hello, listeners. This is Cameron and Brock are two people. The podcast in which Cameron and Brock wake up. Earlier than Cameron and Brock are used to even like forming co- forming single words, much less cohesive sentences or compelling thoughts. And we uh, talk at each other until one of us accidentally says something insightful. Um, we do learn about each other in the process, and I hope you learn about us. Cameron Brock at gmail.com for any comments or questions. I usually post the episode on Wednesday or Thursday. It is already Wednesday. We had to move back our recording schedule because I drove to Virginia and back for a wedding. Okay, I'm pasta here. bar. Hey. It may not have been noticeable. Sometimes I'm just silent. Hmm. No, I was sitting here just kind of re- reading off the the reading off the the state of things to our our listeners uh the it's called well post punk revival is what it was called it almost certainly it is, is that i don't like to view my own moment in history as like other moments or that it's somehow more varied and unique but also it seems like there's an element of people just Wanting to be the person who says things. What do you mean, like the like, the person we're going to label, label yeah. a bunch of different stuff so that now it's different enough that I can talk about it like my job. Oh man, I mean, people have been fighting over what to call the, uh, the every generation past X for for like a decade now. We've gotten millennials, but there are already people saying that there needs to be a term for the after millennials, the post the, the post millennials. I forget what it is. I don't care. Uh, I'm I'm all I'm very tired about like when it comes to all that stuff. Yeah, I don't know what the driving force is behind that. It is sort of practical um, when you're trying to talk about people, but it's also incredibly. Dismissive? What's the word? Reductive? It's, I guess it's, it's by I, I definition like, just reductive. Grouping yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the uh, one day someone will watch uh, an episode of Dawson's Creek, and there will be music playing that was not f- even from that decade, and it will be <coughs> neutral piano rock music that will fit the scene, and it'll be just like uh, when. And, and you'll grouse about it or whatever, right? And for other people, it won't matter. And it'll be like when uh, the one episode of the... Uh, there's a show on television that I'm not going to remember the name of that's set in the in the 70s. Uh, not that 70s show, but the uh, a newer show starring Jeff Garland as the dad in a family. And, uh, and Jeff Garland from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm fame. You might recognize Oh, is it, that's the '80s show? Right? Yeah, the '80s '80s show. Yeah, the, the Goldbergs. The or Goldbergs. See, this is this is why I have you on here to remember things. Um, to to be a really worse version of Google. <laughs> I don't know. I just opened. Chrome. Okay, Google. What's the show? What's the new show set in the '80s? <laughs> I think it's Goldbergs, but I'm not sure. I haven't seen it. <laughs> you know. 
uh, if I had opened Chrome again, then it would have turned you into someone that sounded like a, it. You sounded like a robot being played through a cassette tape recorder for a second there, because my nine Chrome tabs started eating all of my bandwidth. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, that was the effect I was going for. So you may have just been impressed by my. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't realize voice it was an manipulation yeah, capabilities. Remarkable. Um, the Goldbergs. I, I, I've heard it's a very funny show, and I'm, I'm you know. I, I watched one episode, and I was very distracted by one of the children wearing a a very complicated Star Wars shirt. Like, if you see a Star Wars shirt from the era, they're they're uh, normally pretty simple, like two three color screen prints, and this was like pretty clearly like a, a like a modern a, a Star Wars print from like Target with like a digitally. Uh, composited like a multicolor screen print. I forget my original point. Oh yeah, no, just so, it's it's like it doesn't really matter, but it, it's it's condensed, right? Like the, there's there's it, stuff that's it out does of, matter incongruous incongruous. There's no solid ground. No solid. Brand. Say that again. There's no solid ground. I mean, mm-hmm. history just changes, and then is history, but not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not okay with that. Uh, there's, there's little to nothing one can do about it except for the, you know, the t- tiny, like, uh, slices of history that uh, that we can personally you know, witness slipping through our fingers. It's true, and looking at historians, modern examples of historians trying to figure out older things, there will be far in the future some overly specialized historian who everyone thinks he's he or she is wasting their life studying why what the authentic shirt and authentic versions of what program were and how they were changed and he'll write a dissertation on it and no one will care and it will be the thing i asked everyone to do and if I'm alive, I also will not care somehow. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I, uh, we start to talk, talk about the ephemerality of, of like uh, cultural trends and whether they, whether someone will decide that they matter enough to write them down. Uh, I start to worry that the people that care about that just run blogs that eventually get shut down instead of instead of research papers and something that sticks around. So all your pop culture. Uh, you know, and it, all your pop culture stuff uh, goes away when Blogspot does or WordPress or whatever, and and then, uh, and, and then we it slowly fades down to like now, you know, the the fashions of the nineteen twenties is really reduced to like what you see in movies, and then like a drawing of a lady in a bucket hat, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so, I mean, you've always been one for trends. And don't take that in a negative way. Okay. Uh, but do you feel that's bad? I mean, what what value have you found in being involved in different trends? Uh, I boy, I don't know that I've ever been. Oh, I'm rubbing my very allergy ridden face. Um, the, I don't know that I've been that involved in trends like like knowingly. I think I've always. Uh, I mean, I've definitely been in my fair share of or, or arguments about uh, subgenres of hardcore music, or uh, or or judged people deeply on the the type of band T-shirt they were wearing, things like that. Um, I think that as you get older, even even as you get older, all of that stuff starts to cohese into just like a thing that you get tired of picking apart, like eventually. You you have sort of a, a a bunch of bands that you like, and you pretty much know what you're going for with clothes or with bands or with art. And uh, it's hard. I think it's hard to uh, continue to care about trends. Trends being like, I guess I'm more talking about like the details of something, because um, I think trends is a weirdly like uh, loaded term. Is you could talk about trends in art, and you almost still sound like someone who cares because no one talks about trends in art, I guess. Oh, you could talk about trends in fashion, or like, oh, he cares about trend. They, you know, he, uh, they care about trends in fashion, or or pop culture, or, or superhero movies, or whatever. Um, 
all you really mean, I think, is that 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 you're you're basically calling that person a nerd, right? Like the the uh, the, ner- <laughs> the nerd is the person who knows more about something than you think that anyone should, or, you know, uh, or you think that personally that is necessary, uh, you know. And so, uh, someone who cares more about trends than you. Uh, maybe just like cares more about that topic than you do, and it and it happens to be a topic that changes a lot. Like no one really says, "Oh, he cares about trends in uh, in fishing," because fishing is relatively static. At least I assume. Uh, you know. Well, yeah, I I, I don't want to get into it, <laughs> I, but I'm guessing that within every culture subculture group, there. are there is at least a mirror of this. Yeah, I guess the uh, the there maybe there are some dudes who are like, "Hey, the new even rude forty forty cc is out." Boy, the you know the twenty eighteens really blow away the twenty seventeens. Those guys big into trends and fishing. Um, so I don't I don't I don't know. I I think as we've discussed on previous podcasts, we are often enthusiast adjacent. Sometimes with one foot in the enthusiast pool, I've definitely been there. Uh, you know, good good on you. I think in general, if you have uh, enough interest in something to be a nerd about it, even though I personally don't mm. like calling myself or anyone else a nerd. Yeah, I. It's probably a conf- confluence of people wanting to care about something, getting really into it, and making it feel like a driving factor in their life, and um, the insane degree to which humans are wired to be social and identify socially one have a acceptance in social groups sure but also to just and maybe we've talked about this before we we have to some degree i mean there's have like a identity sort of a set pieces that you don't have to use a lot of brain space on but you just are them, you do them, and you know you get to sort of look aside at people who have adopted other sets of identities. Yeah, I think like uh, self-identification is really more of identification with a group or with a you know it, it being you do. I I think very. I I personally don't think I was ever like looking to I, I know i have known people who genuinely their life goal is to go work a logging machine in a forest one day once they're once they have enough money in the bank and would be happy to never see another person again i I've, i know i've worked with one guy who i can personally verify uh would be completely happy doing that the rest of his life but in general uh yeah you're you're not out to uh out to create the church of you uh, you're you're there to to um, try to like hone down your self identity to the point that that you feel like you can uh, connect with other people very specifically. I guess. Um, I, a long time ago, I remember looking at my uh, my Myers Briggs type. Um, and speaking of which, I've been meaning to do an enneagram. I'm going to do an enneagram type soon. Oh, um, but I have. I, I have. Oh, I recommend it. Oh, I should do it, and then we'll talk about it. But Myers Briggs. Um, which I originally started out as an INTJ, which is like the the jerk asshole type. Is um, J is jerk? I think J is jerk. <laughs> By your own description, or is this a commonly I mean, understood? It's one of the ones where you start to read, and they're like, only 04 percent of the population is this one, and you're like, all right, I'm special. Ooh. And then you get like a three sentences in, and you're like, uh oh, <laughs> it's the introverted, ha. introverted, whatever N is thinking, judging. Uh, and one of the characteristics of the INTJ um, is to treat uh, social interactions as as kind of a currency. Like you don't get out of social interactions the way that some inter- some extroverts do and things like that. And so a bad tendency is to kind of optimize for people who you think are useful to you. Um, and in that sense, like have you know when you start a conversation, I still can do this. I don't really run up as an INTJ directly anymore because I'm a little bit older and a little bit rounder on the edges. But the uh, 
But you have a tendency to um, decide really early in a conversation whether someone matters to you or not, and then it, it you have to you tend to switch off, right? And I, I honestly think that like part of the strong self identification stuff, if I were to self analyze, is a, is like a way to it's a not only a way to like feel better about yourself or feel a certain way about yourself, but also a way to um, pre-optimize for the kind of person that you think you want to be talking to. You know what I mean? Hmm. Okay. I hadn't thought about it within a specific uh, scenario, like talking to somebody and what you want to do. And that's okay. Me, me neither. I'm kind of just riffing here. Well, yeah. I mean, so for you, if we're being, you know, open and reminiscent here, of course, always, is that part of the podcast or is that included in being a person? Oh, very much so. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're very on brand right now. I, I, I wonder, thank you, I try. I wonder if you realize this. You are a friend who I would say is pretty unique. You are probably a point, what is it, a point zero four or point four? What did you say? A very small number. A small number. Um, but abrasive, uh, opinionatedly abrasive might be a good descriptor at times. That it certainly didn't define you. But if you didn't know you, there was a certain tendency for people to think maybe you were a jerk. Mm. And so if somebody was meeting you for the first time, a friend of mine, sometimes, I don't, before, after, whatever, I would be like, hey, just so you know, this guy is actually really cool <laughs> and smart and interesting, but you might feel like he's trying to, I don't, I don't, I don't think I use the word jerk, that's far too strong, but basically, he might seem a little abrasive with his opinions, but I assure you he's not trying to shut you down, you know, like I'd preface your personality because... I, that was a real thing. I mean, your family is a little bit like that, where, you know, we have the way we do things. Obviously, they're the best. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them this way. Oh, boy. Um, and if you don't have any other context, that just seems like very non-valuable. But, of course, you guys were much more complex and worthwhile so I very distinctly remember like having that discussion with people. Now, I will also say that you, as you said, have rounded your corners much more. And so you are a much more complete in it and easily engaged person now. Yeah, uh, for the uh, hopefully for the listener's sake, we were talking about when we were like 15, right? I mean... Oh, the definitely, yeah. yes. And very few people are worth talking to when they're 15, just like in general. Well, I mean, we're, there's not some hard break. I mean, it, <laughs> I was, it is a personality. Yeah. Like you just, you know, we all grow. No, totally. I, I, I never, I don't, I definitely would have never thought that you were out there running interference for me, uh, getting getting out ahead <laughs> of out ahead of my myself. Um, good gracious. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, that's that's awfully touching and nice. Um, it, it's, I, I think that like, it took me a long time to uh, get out of my own head and my out of my own like perception of what I thought I was being, um, and I, I don't know. I think that a lot of people. Uh, end up looking back at how they are and and changing. I don't think it was like dramatic, and I think that getting married and uh, helped. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I I think like especially then, I'm trying to get into that headspace. I I really think that um, homeschooling didn't help, and being around other kids less didn't help, and being around my family didn't help. So. You, have you ever? I mean, there's a there's a familiarity to family that allows people to just let things hang out. Um, there's a there's one of my good friends in college. Uh, we we would hang out all the time, and she was uh, the girlfriend of the of one of my other good friends. 
Uh, she and I would talk, and at one point I said, man, we're like brother and sister. It's so cool that we are like we ha- can hang out and just be really like laid back or whatever. And what happened after I said we're like brother and sister was very odd because what kind of happened is that there was some uh there was some uh st- structure of friendship some sort of uh um kind of tablecloth over the whole situation that was pulled away and then she just was like less nice to me and like uh would just kind of I, I I just remember there was there was a there's there's a certain civility to friendship that isn't necessarily there with family or doesn't necessarily have to be there with family members. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Where was this? Oh, the, what was the background? I, I don't want to be too specific. It was it was don't be specific. yeah. It, it was it was college ish. Uh, no, it was college. All right. So you're sure that this wasn't a situation where you hyper friend zoned someone no. and then they got pissed no, at this, you. <laughs> this was someone in an established relationship that would, they're, they're very Oh, Oh, with. well, okay. Yeah. Totally. But okay. it was more, it was um, more that I had said, yeah. like, I, I, I remember saying, you know, it's, it's like we're brother and sister. And then at, and it might, may have been completely unconscious on their part, but the, I remember the, um, the dynamic shifting just ever so slightly away from, how you treat your friend to how you treat your like sibling. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have some friends like that. You almost become less considerate of them because you don't, you take for granted that it's, it's a relationship that's not sort of predicated on whether or not you're still, um, civil in a certain way, you know, like making people feel okay about themselves. Right, and Which, it sounds bad, but it's to me it seems like a farther level of being able to interact with someone if you let it be. It can be, yeah, definitely. But like, I think for me, growing up, my default uh, dynamic, you know, being the oldest of seven and homeschooled and seeing other kids like on a you know a weekly basis or whatever, my default dynamic was you know one of sibling uh, and not of. Uh, being around people who I don't that, know that much about and and need to learn right. about and and maybe like listen to, um, you know, and so I went from being like the older authority, you know, the old old you know authority as it were, relative relatively knowledgeable, fourteen uh, year old with a bunch of little sisters, to being you know a fourteen year old among other fourteen year olds and um, and. Uh, yeah, it it took a long time, I think, for me to um, l- listen a little bit more to what I sounded like to other people. Yeah. Also, the the comfort of the comfort you feel with your family and being yourself and discussing things like that. It's true, but it also is true that we take for granted how our family dynamic is. So we grow up largely existing within that framework until a little later. <clears throat> and so, however it happens, the synthesis of all the people, there's a dynamic within the family. Mm-hmm. You talk a certain way. It's not just that comfort, but it's that some families are very passive-aggressive Some families are very argumentative. Some families handle certain problems well and other problems poorly. There's this whole thing that you get used to and you prepare to interact with it like that. And then as a young person becoming more part of a world outside of that, you use all the techniques and react to all the same things in the same way. And everybody is super different, and you don't really know that off the bat. No. <laughs> you don't know that there's totally different ways people interact. Like, my family was more like dinner would be... We didn't really have yelling arguments so much, but we'd yell at each other. Imagine, like, the stereotypical idea of an Italian family. Right. Well, not only are we half... Sicilian, but it would have been exactly how you're imagining it in your head. You know, 
crazy sort of constantly loud Lots of gesticulations. banter, very direct conversation involving any kind of conflict. Um, hmm. There was, of course, that underlying idea that a lot of our family's ideas were better, but that might just be common because that's how you decided to live. But yeah, yeah. but then with my wife's family into my marriage, and marriage is probably where you find it out most dramatically and harshly, is that you're like, why are things not working the way they should? And you realize that it's just a totally different approach. Yeah, I uh, my what all of us have discovered uh, now, like my, me, myself, and my sisters uh, as adults, is that uh, our families really mean <laughs> like to each other. They're <laughs> they're uh, they're really uh, harsh and abrasive. They will they will uh, talk they will talk shit about someone who's not a family member who's not there. Uh, they will talk shit about a family member to their face. Um, they will, if someone tries something a little bit different or experimental, they're, they're, they tend to be super tough on that person. Like they'll bring it up a lot um, in front of them. Or, or like, you know, for example, when I was in college growing my hair over my ears in uh, walking around Liberty University with a letter in my backpack, ostensibly from the hairstylist. Do you know the letter story? You might. I, I, uh, not okay. sure. So the you, you, the rules in at Liberty uh, detailed that you ah. that you should not have your hair over your eyebrows or ears. Um, so I had a letter from the woman who cut my hair that said, uh, with a couple of typos, uh, it wasn't very convincing, but it was from her. Said that I was my hair was being used <laughs> for educational purposes for like training uh, hairstylist, and so it was okay for me to have it long. Um, so I had was this so a common. Walking, loophole or was this something you came up with uh it was uh, my friend had done it uh or, or he had said i think i was like three degrees removed from the last guy to have attempted it you know it was like he had told me that it worked and that hairstylist had done that for someone else before and so when i asked about it she was like yeah sure and she wrote me the letter uh, it worked all but one time uh where one ra was like oh. i don't think so and he gave me demerits anyway but i'm walking you know i i grown my hair long um, and I was, you know, some age where you're trying to figure out what you want your hair to look like, which for some people is their whole lives. And I am very empathetic to anyone who wants to do anything with their hair at any time. I feel like you, you should definitely, uh, do, do whatever you want. I'm, I'm sorry about your hair, by the way, but that's, I guess that's not really part of the story. Um, and, uh, <laughs> who are you talking to? You, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. No, I'm fine. It it takes away a lot of that, ha you know, mental space that you have to deal with. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, more room for your brain, I guess, without all those follicles in there. I don't know why I feel like like being mean to you about being bald right in the middle of our discussion about how we shouldn't be mean or how our families are mean. No, it's okay. I mean, that's the feeling you're having. That's not the feeling I'm having. Go for it. <laughs> that's very zen of you. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I, had, I, I would say that there were comments being made about my haircut up until my mid to late 20s. Uh, you know, years after my, my hair, I had stopped, I, or years after I had, like, grown my hair long and kept it there, it was still a thing that came up occasionally. Like, there, and, and as we all get older, we've all talked about it, and we all want to do better, but, like, there is a, like, a real abrasiveness to my family when it is just my family. Um, and there, there, uh, they, there is, there is a, so there, there is a certain amount of, like, uh, pair, like a uh, abrasiveness and familiarity come hand in hand for me, and it's hard for me even with like even with my wife. Like I, I, um, like Shannon and I, like it's something I work on. Uh, that to me, right. the most familiar thing is the most direct thing. Like I feel like I am being the most familiar when I look someone in the eye and I'm like, look, you know, this is you know your reasoning for this is bullshit. You know, you're doing this. You know, you you know you're telling yourself this. Just do this instead. Or like, you know, I'm calling you on this, you know. Um, right. And I actually think because, you know, I'm not just an outside observer here. 
I have similar tendencies and traits. I don't think they were as, you know, distilled as they are in your family. We have other things. But it is that it's a useful component because when I see the opposite, when I see the the always supporting family, but which is good until they need to have a discussion about something they cannot. And so being straightforward and showing people what they need to look at and everything like super valuable, but it doesn't, it's not always valuable. So you just got to look at where that line is. And also you have to hold that idea that it's good to have an opinion for action but it is bad to imagine that you're sure that opinion is right. So it sounds contradictory, but it's just sort of life. Like I just heard this quote by a smart person who lived a while ago. And I think he was in parliament when he said it. Basically, it's that we all know we have wrong opinions, but we just don't know which ones they are. And because if we did... They wouldn't be our opinions. If you ask somebody, do you have opinions that are wrong? They're going to say, well, I mean, of course. I, I don't think anyone will say, well, I'm everything I think I'm sure is right. But then when you actually ha- watch them live, they treat all the opinions they're giving out as the ones that they're pretty sure are, you know, yeah. well, this isn't the wrong one. I mean, I know some of them are right. Um, and that's how I always was. I didn't, but I mean, I still am, but that's what I've been like really looking at. Right. So it's like, have you ever been in a dream? Well, everybody's had this where, you know, when you wake up, it's a dream, but you think back and despite every evidence you were sure it was not a dream in the moment. Oh yeah, I even some of those dreams where you think, you know, is this a dream? You're like, no, of course not. I I uh, I've dreamed a lot this weekend because I was in a a cabin that was built in 1788 or something like that in Virginia uh, that had been updated Ooh. somewhat, but it's still pretty drafty, and my allergies were just wrecking me, so I slept. You were in and out of sleep. In and out of sleep a lot. Um, I, I think that it. Uh, the, I, I dreamed that Josh Hom, the lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age, uh, was actually 5'8 and kind of overweight and kept releasing the second song off of the old Songs for the Deaf album every month to his fan club with different guitar parts. Um, and I was hanging out with him as he was recording one with an electric <laughs> ukulele. Um, and then after he finished, we went into his backyard, which was full of plastic uh, Hawaiian tiki stuff, but there was price tags on everything. That felt real at the time. I was like, man, Josh Hom, why, why, why are all these plastic palm trees in your backyard? I hope that helped your point. You're, no, it did very much because you were invested in that. Was. You were really trying to figure out what was happening there, and you were probably a little sad. A, a little bit. I, was, I mean, I was bummed that I was taller than Josh Hom. Uh, in real life, that guy's like <laughs> and, huge. And <laughs> your dreams are very different than mine. No, <laughs> no more, no more odd. Just very different topical material. Sure. So we've all had that experience. Yeah. And opinions are like that, and it's okay. It's you never can know. So there's just this certain amount of humility where you're like, well, I'm not going to quit living. I'm going to do what I think right now. It necessarily tones down your inner um, aggression when you approach other people about ways that you think they can change. Even, and I think most insidiously, when you're trying to help them. Because that's when it comes out, when I'm thinking of it, is I'm like, this person needs, you know, they're going to be better off if they listen to my advice. Yeah. And the way I approach giving that advice is not a personally um, uh, attuned for them maybe, or just wholly not a good way to give advice at all or not needed. And so 
uh, it's a constant thing, but so yeah, I, I think about like my job being inter- interface designer. Um, the the mirage of of the of simplicity is a really common thing, I guess. Where like everybody everybody always wants their interface, their design, whatever, to be clean and simple and intuitive. That those words are effectively meaningless now because they are universal, um, and because uh, no one's ever like, all right, build me this thing. I want it to be like uh, dense and cluttered and just sort of like cozy, like I'm in the back of a book <laughs> bookstore, you know. Give me something baroque at once, Byzantine and <laughs> labyrinthian. Very obscured. Yeah. I want the I want the user to really have to work for that. No, everyone wants their thing to be Apple. You know, they want their thing to be austere and and clean. And um, and for me, well, like uh, my job is supposed to be uh, uh, to distill or to simplify. Especially in the internet, uh, with websites and stuff like you, I think that like all, you know, back in the day you installed something on a CD-ROM, uh, you opened the program and you're gonna get to whatever you wanted to do on that program, like period. Cause you're not going to be like, well, can't find it. Guess I'll eject this CD-ROM, go to the store, buy a different CD-ROM, come home, install that one and then see if that works. You know, like there, you had a ton, like effectively infinite user investment in your interface, which I think is one of the reasons that interface design wasn't as big of a thing um, back then. But now you have, you know, fractions of a second before you lose somebody and they go just go buy your thing off Amazon or whatever. Um, and uh, and so the the prior, the premium is on on simplicity. Uh, and everything needs to be, you know, one click away, or it can't be below the fold, or somebody won't see it when they glance at your website before they leave forever. Um, and and that's really satisfying to me, like to to like take something that somebody was overthinking, or like the something that was five steps, and try to get it down to one step, or you know, whether it's like simplifying lines of code, or the the button, or what the button does, or whether the button should even be there, or because sometimes the the solution to the problem is really simple. You know, sometimes it's, oh, we just need to change the language of this button to say, you know, like create post instead of done so that it, it explains the user what's actually going to happen when they push it, you know, stuff like that. But uh-huh. that tendency tends to bleed over into uh, people and how you treat, you know, uh, how you treat uh, other problems in your life. And sometimes that's great. Like I'm also good at packing a car because I think about the car structurally and like it's really and I get this from my dad. I really like packing a trunk really efficiently, um, you know, <laughs> dumb stuff like that. But a person is not necessarily if someone comes to you and they're like, or, you know, I'm having a rough day. Here are my complicated problems and my feelings. Let me optimize yeah. you. You're not like your job isn't to cut straight to here's how you fix it or like. This is simple because the whole point is that it's not simple, and like you, you know, you're you're doing that person yeah, a disservice. They clearly, they clearly haven't thought all the things I've thought. Right? Let me enlighten. And you. I've actually that is a problem in design too. Um, I, like false uh, minimalism, where and I see this a lot in like especially in mobile apps. There'll be something that I can sort of see behind the curtain. I can see like what the designer intended. But when they made that really simple giant button on the screen, they didn't think about everything else that had to happen. So you you end up with a situation where you're trying to use something and there's it's very simple when you look at it, but they have not solved the workflow in a way that makes sense. So you end up stuck in some like really weird series of steps or a page that doesn't explain enough information because they because they are they they they've made it simple in the wrong way like they didn't have enough context at the time I, right so i well, i'm leading somewhere with all of this nonsense which is that i think that and i want to know if this is true for you i think that your job uh tends to, however you solve your job or however you are uh are good at whatever you're good at with your job you tend to try to use those exact same skills with your family or with other people um the the second example, the non me example being 
my dad, who is a doctor, um, very infamously to us kids, uh, would attempt to kind of like prescribe behavior at the dinner table growing up. Uh, so we'd all be sitting there bickering or whatever. We don't, there wasn't much yelling. It was, we were not Italian. It was just like really deeply personal, (laughs) um, passively insulting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, we did eat together at dinner a lot. So it'd just be, you know, yeah, maybe people were trying to get other people to be angry passively. That was definitely a thing. I mean, we are French and German, so yeah. Uh, with a little bit of Irish, I think, um, But uh, he would all of a sudden, in the middle of like a very natural sort of dinner discourse, say, okay, I want everyone to go around the table and say one thing that they enjoyed doing today. (laughs) And we'd all be like, no, why would we? And and he would get up, he would get frustrated and we would get mad and we would, we would complain. And um, he was also, he would do that for like the prayer before dinner. He would want people to go around. He always talked about growing up. He always wanted us to each play an instrument so that we could form a little like chamber music uh, group and play for him. Like he definitely had this idea of um, of everyone sort of uh, joining together for a common purpose. When in in fact, what happened is he had seven kids that are all one hundred percent different somehow, um, and all of us had had our day, and we just wanted to like eat dinner and and have a normal conversation and not like team up for some sort of scene out of a Disney movie. <laughs> it might be a dad thing. I My dad had similar aspirations. Well, it might be a job thing is what I'm saying. So like, I, okay. I don't do that with my kids mainly because I, I break out in hives when I think about that uh, and how it went for us as, as kids. But also I don't have the same sort of role that my dad does so, like, my dad was a ER doc for a really long time. And an ER doc is, like, the kind of the head of, you know, the, whatever's going on with a particular thing in the ER. Underneath him are a bunch of, of, I don't know, orderlies and nurses and stuff. And in that scenario, he's in charge. He's got all these people around him who are looking to him to, to, for, like, the answers. Like, oh, do we need to give this guy 40 milligrams of bernizazol? Or like Bernindazine, that's it, and stabilize him. Or like, so you've got this scenario, and I was I was just on a I I was on that road trip back from Tennessee. I was talking with my mom about this, and and what I kind of stumbled upon was that um, for him and his professional capacity, he is in a situation where he's kind of at the head of a an ostensible table, and the people at the table are not a family just like bickering and all having different days it is a bunch of people who all have kind of the same understood goal, right? Their goal is here's a patient. We need to do something about this patient. Like we need, we're looking to you for the dosage or the treatment or like what the apartment he should be shuttled off to or whatever. Um, so for my dad, his default mode is all right. Group of people who we've already established have a common goal with me do this and that and this, right? So he comes home looks over the dinner table and his kind of like his knee jerk way to deal with those people, much like mine is to like oversimplify their problems or to assume that they want me to simplify their problems, which is also not true. His like goal or his, his sort of like default way of dealing with a group of people is what works for him, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week, which is um, giving instructions to a bunch of people who are asking for instructions. Does that make sense? I know that was very long. No, I mean, when you compare it to your family, I'm trying to think if that's true, how that would be true of different jobs and how that would manifest itself if your if your theory holds. Yeah, I mean, you're at, we are at work a lot, right? Like, you're at work for... Yeah, a, a, and often we'll be working at something that we naturally have a process for that is, you know, pretty good. Yeah. It's uh, ideally your job is rewarding, you know, because it's already reinforcing something that is yeah, some tendency okay. of you that's I, already good. I would good, definitely, right? I mean, this is another anecdote, but it would seem to fit your system is that at work, one of the things I'm probably better at is general troubleshooting process 
where if something's not going the way it's supposed to, and it's not obvious, um, and I get involved, <laughs> it's it's a very focused. We know what we need to happen. What are all of the controls we can put on this? Toss away anything that doesn't make sense. Um, try it one at a time, and you just sort of hit things, separate things, um, look at them, move them around. You know, you're just going towards this and say if there's a problem that arises in a family, and I use that approach with my wife. I mean, yes, we're very different people, but maybe even a similar person. I'm just using what I know to be efficient and that I'm good at. And it doesn't work with all people and all different types of troubleshooting at all, you know? And so I'm in that mode and I'm separating out different problems and isolating things and, and like in the process pointing out things that create strong emotions about certain topics and related to other things. And in my mind, it's this nice little um, tetris box organizational structure. Right. And in the other's mind, it's like, um, I don't know, an explosion of tangled <laughs> ropes or something. Like I opened up one of those popcorn cans and – Oh yeah, exploded and classic in everywhere. You know yeah. those popcorn, the, the cans. springs, the spring snake things that almost no one had in real life, but were like omnipresent in TV shows and cartoons and stuff. Right, and one day a historian will write a small dissertation on the reality or hoax that these popcorn cans were ever existed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I mean. I. I think that for the that that tracks given what i know about you uh and especially like some of the stuff that we haven't even touched yet on this podcast like the um the meditations uh is it called meditations what, buddy did i get the name wrong i've read the first chapter uh go ahead. meditations yes it's called meditations but it also super unimportant aside <laughs> It was never called anything. It was his journal. Right. I think the original wording was to himself or something to that effect. So people call it whatever, but meditation is most common. Oh, yeah. man, I should name my journals. Um, uh, meditations is uh, – anyway. Um, so it, uh, that tracks with uh, what I've read so far in that, which is like a chapter. We'll talk, we should talk about that in depth later. I'll try to get some pull quotes or something. But the idea of yourself as, um, as you know, you come into a situation as a as an IT, not IT, but like what what troubleshooting specialist, right? And let's just say that. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 my previous knowledge of your job was just that it was secret government stuff, and that uh, there was an air conditioning machine on top of the building. So I, I don't know very. <laughs> that's a callback to a previous <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, too far back. Uh, so, you know, it, it behooves you to be a, uh, kind of like emotionally uninvested, stabilizing third party, right? So like you, two people are mad at their computer, something's wrong or like something went bad with the, the server farm or, or what have you. And like, it it is important to stay calm. This is actually very similar to a, another tendency my dad has. Um, which is like calmness in the face of a, a uh, an issue is very important if you're a troubleshooting specialist or a uh, or a doctor because somebody somebody in front of you is stressed out or some machine is freaking out or you know whatever. Um, but at home or with a human being uh, in a different dynamic, that might not work as well. Like I personally am the kind of person who would get I can do this too. Um, but you know, when someone is, is, uh, worked up, they don't necessarily want someone to stand in front of them, be not emotionally sharing the problem with them and instead kind of like di diagnosing them, like picking apart the problem. Right. 
Um, that's a tendency uh, that I, I have too in a sort of different way. Um, my dad can be uh, borderline cold with it, right? Because when you're a doctor and you walk into a patient's room and they're like, doc, you know, my leg is falling off. The doctor is not going to be like, oh man, that's terrible. Come here and like give him a hug and like a blanket. Be like, oh man, that sucks. I, I, you know, I'm really sad about your leg falling off. The doctor's job is to stand there and say, everything's fine, you know, to act as nonplussed as possible with whatever is going on, right? And like, you know, the patient's leg could be like lying on the floor and the doctor's going to act like it's no big deal and everything's fine. Like the doctor's just sort of has a, a, they're supposed to be stabilizing because it's a doctor-patient relationship. But if you're like a kid and that's your dad, you know, like a tendency that my dad had was to, to kind of like, maintain that sort of dynamic right and uh right and so I, I feel like that's a tendency of the 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 troubleshooter diagnostic sort of mindset is is uh uh that doesn't translate super well does that make sense yeah not yeah that definitely relates it's as if you're used to circumstances where the goal is obvious and like you said everybody wants to accomplish it and in interpersonal um, relationships or discussions, the solution, the goal might not be obvious. Or there might not even be one, the, right? A solution is not a solution. Like you might not know what you're trying to solve or a solution is for that problem counterproductive for a larger problem. It's, um, yeah, bringing... And I mean, it's sort of honest. You're like, hey, I'm good at this. Let me help. But... <laughs> You, Stand it's, aside. It's a, a yeah, <laughs> a bit of humility, maybe like the opinion thing. Um, you know what you're good at, and you try to use it the best you can, but constantly look for its limits. Yeah, it's not all that you know. You walk in and you're like, I have an interface hammer. Did anyone need a button reworded? I got you covered. And Shannon's just like, No, I've had a bad day. Could you like just talk to me about my day? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's it's so mysterious that's I, that's got to be true for a lot of people in their jobs right because jobs in general have clearer goals than people uh oh yeah i mean that's the structure right well, it definitely helps i mean you still deal with people but ultimately you can say look we're all trying to do this uh you know it's a totally different version of personal interaction because there's a hierarchy above that yeah, that's true. When it's just people, it's almost just it's it's all shifting reference frames. Yeah, and then <laughs> if it's family, there's just targets on everyone's foreheads, and you just like go for it. Um, wait, that's just my family, I guess. Yeah, no, that's uh, that was sort of the subtle evolutionary survival of the fittest structure your dad secretly implemented you might not be giving your dad enough credit like this is his plan all along um and he might be keeping track i don't know which sibling do you think he's got on top right now oh man i know so see, i think he wanted us you, wait you think the whole chamber music thing was just a cover and it's really like a hunger game situation and i just man oh i think i think there were a lot of plans and he was just seeing which one took i see so like when he said we need to all go around the table and say one thing that we liked about the day uh we had all subtly through like a through uh suggestion uh, suggestion uh already picked a chair that he expected that he like uh that he was planning for us like i didn't actually choose which chair i sat in it was it was part of a ranking system man yeah, I want you to look back over every moment and aspect of your life for the past 30 years and realize that it was planned and that you don't know what your actual purpose is. Um, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Cam. Now, next podcast, I'm going to need each of you, mostly just being you, to tell me one good thing about your day and me, okay? Yes, sir. <laughs>